We have a guest speaker this morning. He's a really dear friend of mine. <laughs> Wait, before you clap, think, hear him speak first, then we can clap. All right, yeah. So um, he's a very honorable reverend doctor, ordained in many different denominations. But no, just kidding. He, he's a good buddy of mine. I like to joke around with him. And uh, he is actually, uh, like me, former Lutheran. He's from Minnesota. Originally, he's been in Hawaii how many years? Uh, he's uh, married to a half-Korean. Uh, whoo! All right. Uh, what else can I say? He's, uh, currently, he and his wife are in a transition. They had just received the call, accepted to be the directors of the Youth with the Mission Base in Manoa. And so the, D, the DTS uh, mission, and so uh, the DTS Discipleship Training School, which a lot of you here have gone through, uh, so they are just brand new. He's been working like so, so long. They just did the introduction for the school last night. His wife is doing finishing up today, so she can't be here. But anyway, this guy, he's an awesome guy. He's real shy, though, so you, I don't know. He, he's a very quiet type of guy. So let's go ahead and give him a hand. Let's encourage him. Come on. Let's encourage him. Come on up. Thank you. <clears throat> I'm so nervous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's such a blessing for you to be able to uh, come and, and speak to us today. Thanks, Aaron, for being here. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we just say thank you so much for bringing Pastor Aaron here today. Lord, we just ask that you would open up our hearts, Lord. Open up the word of God to us, that we'd be able to receive it. Holy Spirit, come and fill Pastor Aaron. Bless him today. Bless us as a church that we'd be able to apply what we hear today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, All right. You can clap better than that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, so if you get your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9, please. We're going to look at uh, the call of Saul. And what the Lord uh, put on my heart for us this morning, uh, and what I want to begin with, uh, is asking all of us, in, in, including myself, what call does God have on your life? If you don't know, you need to find out. Because everybody standing in this room has a call on their life. That's gospel truth right there. So I, just to give you a little background here, um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, I came to know the Lord when I was 20, hold on, 25. Uh, and the process that brought me to that point was that I hated God. I mean, not just like disliked. I mean, I hated God. My mom died when I was six in a car accident. My dad died of a massive heart attack when I was 18. In between those times, my stepmom physically, verbally, emotionally abused me. I, was, I felt completely abandoned by everybody in my life. And so I remember sitting at my father's funeral in the front row and this pastor going on about God's grace or something and I remember just looking up and going, this pastor has no clue even who my dad was. And he's talking about grace and love. And in that moment, at that time, I made an agreement 
with death. And I said, you know what? Life is futile. There's no point. If God is really good and up there and wants our best interest, I can't see it. Now, growing up in Minnesota, growing up on a, uh, on a farm as well, um, we used to take, I'm not saying this is right, and if your kids here don't do this, um, we used to take like, two different bugs, put them in a jar, and shake it and see if they'd fight. Anyone? Okay, just me. Um, <clears throat> okay, good. Um, and that's what I thought God did. I believe that that is how God dealt with our lives. He put us in situations, shook us up, just to see what we would do. And so in that moment where I made that agreement with death, I re- realized that <clears throat> I was going to challenge God and challenge death, and I would win no matter what. Okay, I've been delivered, so it's okay. So you guys can just, <gasps> it's okay. Um, but I, I preface this Acts chapter 9 with that, because as we look at the life of Saul, who then becomes Paul, he challenged God, but he didn't really know it. And so my question is, one, what is the call of God on your life? And two, where are you resisting or challenging God to not step into it? Because the point of it is this. The point of it is that that agreement and that challenge that I made with, uh, with death and against God is that's what set my steps from 18 years old until I was 25, and finally God met me. Now I want you to think back. Where were you emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, physically when Jesus Christ showed up in your life? I want you to take a moment and think about that. It was at home, and, and you had that Christian home and poured into you, maybe at church or youth group or, or Sunday school. Or maybe you went through some stuff and finally Jesus met you. But can we take a moment and go, you know what, yeah, Jesus always meets us where we're at. Because that's the nature and character of God, isn't it? That no matter where we are, Jesus is not just with us, but if we turn, he's always there for us. So, Acts chapter 9. Let's uh, start in verse 1, get into the word here, and we'll start uh, taking stuff, uh, some stuff out here. So, now Saul, who's Paul, uh, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone that was belonging to the way, which is the church, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. See, Paul is not, you know, discriminatory. He, you know, he, men and women, it's all inclusive. Um, verse three, as he was traveling, it happened that as he was approaching Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Let's hit pause here. See, what I find amazing about this is that right here, as Saul is obeying the law of Moses. You know, we understand the motivation be, be, uh, uh, behind Saul's uh, persecution was his love for God. I think we miss that sometimes. That he was so zealous for God, he loved God so much, and he was willing to obey the law to its letter. It led him to killing people, which ironically is against the law. 
You know, sometimes in our lives, our zealousness for God and doing right can get in the way. If we don't take a step back and say, God, where is your grace in this moment? And so we can see that his zeal for God, his love for God, and the law is what's motivating him at this point. Make sense? Somebody say, okay. All right, thanks. So, what happens? He's traveling. This light hits him, and I picture what I would say is the Shekinah glory of God totally enveloping him and just completely saturating his life, his presence, everything of where he's at. God is completely covering Saul right now. And he falls to the ground. In verse five, what's his question? And this is key. This is very key because it's gonna come back in a few verses. His response in verse five is what? Not a rhetorical question, you can talk. We're in church, it's okay, it's okay. What, is, what does Saul say? Yeah, so hold on a second. So what you're telling me is this, that Saul, a Pharisee, the best of the best, who is, knows the law backwards and forwards, who loves God so much and is so zealous, when the living God, Jesus Christ, speaks to him, his answer, or I'm sorry, his question is what? So how can he be so in the word of God and zealous for God, but not recognize the voice of God? The response is what? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Hit pause again. What I love here is this, is that whatever we are going through or you're going through right now, struggles, trials, temptations, stepping into sin, whatever it would be, understand this. Jesus is with you. Because when his church is persecuted, when his people are persecuted, Jesus, he takes it personally. Now, I've been in Hawaii about 20 years. So forgive me for my pigeon here, because it's really not. Basically, Jesus is going, oh, blah, blah, you like scrap. You can erase that if you're recording this. Anyways, um, <clears throat> but he's connecting with his people. So understand that. The team that's going to Thailand, as you're pouring into people, as you've been there for years, when there's persecution and opposition, they're not opposing you. They're opposing the Holy Spirit. They're opposing Jesus Christ that lives in you and is making a difference as God's kingdom comes to earth. And that gives us the understanding that it's not wrestling by our power, but by whose power? By Jesus Christ. That should give us hope, motivation, inspiration, and our perspiration is gonna bring transformation because lives are being saved. Somebody say amen. All right, good. Okay, so as we continue, what's happening here? Paul does not know who God is, who Jesus is, but Jesus meets him, lays him out, surrounds him in his presence, that Shekinah glory of God covering Paul or Saul, And this is the first thing that Jesus says. And I love it because Saul says what? Who are you, Lord? And and, in your Bible is recognized that's a capital L. So he knows that this is a God thing going on here. This is just like something happening. He understands what's happening just a little. And I love it because Jesus doesn't answer his question. This is what Jesus says, verse six. 
But get up, enter the city, and it will be told to you what you must do. Now, let's recap here. So Saul, authority from Jerusalem, hatred against Christians, has in his hands letters that would imprison anybody who's a Christian. He's used to kind of calling shots, isn't he? And when he says, who are you, Lord? Jesus says, get up, and I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna do. I believe this is what we would describe as humility or, humility or being humbled. And so as he's humbled, what happens? Well, verse seven. So the men who are with him stood speechless. They hear the voice, but they see no one. So Saul gets up from the ground in verse eight. And though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And so they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there for three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now that blinding of Saul is, I think, not just physically, but spiritually because he does not know the living God. Hit pause again. Where are we spiritually blind to the nature and character of God in our own lives? Have we checked our blind spots lately? Individually and as a church. Do we know where maybe there's not just a weakness, but maybe we haven't encountered God in a certain way in our lives, and we need to. I think an application here for everybody as the church as a whole and individually is to take account of our blind spots, of where do we hear God gently speaking into our lives? And maybe we're just going, yeah, tomorrow. Yeah, no, uh, maybe next week. I don't want to deal with that. Because we ignore it long enough and it, it will wreck us. We ignore it long enough, we'll become deaf to the Lord's voice. Now, the message does get better from here on out. I just want to let you know, I'm not like doom and gloom here. So just had a good friend of mine. Um, I've been, uh, I did my DTS in uh, Paia, Maui in 1996. Come on. And then I came here in 1998 and did my uh, biblical studies course. And then right after that, the leader of my school ended up uh, having his life kind of fall apart. And because God has a wonderful sense of humor, uh, YWAM invited me to take over the school. I'm like, I barely, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if I passed, I got the certificate, but I'm not sure if I passed my Biblical study school, but okay. Um, so he confirmed that call, and for six years, I led um, uh, the School of Biblical Studies core course in uh, Manoa. But my, back to my, my, my leader in my school for the SBS. This was somebody who has probably forgotten more about God's word than I may ever know. And I looked up to him. He was my mentor. It's divorced ends up in Chinatown smoking crack. I moved in with him for a month to try and pour into him and help him. And I asked him one day, I'm like, oh my gosh, how can you know so much about God's word but be in the place that you're at? I I don't get it. Okay, I'm gonna step off the stage just for a second, sorry. How can you do this? 
And this is what he said to me. He says, you know what, Aaron? It's like this. It's like I'm standing on a bridge. And underneath this bridge is this like this muddy, mucky, quicksand river. And as I'm on the bridge, I see a $100 bill. And so as I'm, I'm kind of on this bridge, right, I can reach out and reach down and I can grab that $100 bill. And as I get that, I look a little bit farther and there's another one. And I, I can't quite reach it from the bridge, but if I just step off the bridge and have my hand on the bridge, I can grab it, so I got it. But then I look up and there, there's, there's another one. So I have to let go of the bridge. And he said, that's what it's like. He's like, yeah, I, I have that connection with Christ. I know his word. But the more I looked at what the world was offering and my weaknesses, the farther away from the bridge that I got. And he said, eventually, I found myself chest deep in quicksand, not being able to move and not being able to turn back. And what breaks my heart is that if he would have turned around, he would have realized the bridge never moved. It was always right there. You see, when we get away from God's word or we step out of where God has us or we ignore God's voice, though it is an extreme example, that can happen. So let me ask you again. And I ask myself this often and my half-Korean wife, Korean, reminds me often, where are your blind spots? Where are we saying, hmm, tomorrow, not right now, it's too hard to deal with. Well, I, I don't want to step out in that way. You know what? If we allow God to wreck us like he wrecked Saul, whew, nothing but amazingness afterwards. Somebody say, all right, come on. All right, so he's brought into Damascus, this person who was ordering people around, going there with these letters from uh, the synagogue or uh, from Jerusalem to persecute Christians. He is now what? He is now humbled in the presence of Jesus, hearing Jesus's voice saying, I'm going to tell you what to do, Saul, and led into Damascus, totally humbled. And for three days, no sight, spiritually blind, physically blind, and he didn't eat or drink. Verse 10. So, in Damascus, this is a great kind of contrast, was a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord says to him, this is Ananias, in a vision, Ananias. And Ananias said, verse 10, what's his answer? Here I am, Lord. See, so Saul, who are you? Ananias, here I am. This is a great contrast. And the Lord said to him, so get up, go to the street called what? Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. See, as we're looking at this, what we're, what we're looking at is that God has a call on Saul's life and on Ananias' life. And he speaks to them in the same way. I think it's interesting that he says to Ananias, get up. If he's asking Ananias to get up, what do you think Ananias is doing when Jesus met him right there? Maybe not sleeping. Maybe praying. Could be sleeping, though. That's a good answer, actually. I never thought about that. I'm, I'm going to look into that. That's good. I like that. I like that. Could, it could, I, 
Okay, I just, I love, this is what I love about the church. I love that when I, when I, when I teach or speak or whatever, that I get to learn stuff too, to look at things in a different way. That is what's wonderful about the body of Christ. So I'm gonna incorporate that into my teachings from here on out. Thank you. I'm serious. That's, that's awesome. Um, so regardless of whether he was sleeping or praying, God came to him and he recognized Jesus's voice and was willing to get up and go, kind of. Because what does he say? He says, go to Saul, because Saul is doing what? Saul is praying, okay? So Saul has been brought to a point of being wrecked and is now seeking the living God in a way he never has before. So again, whatever is happening to you in your life right now, whatever tragedy, whatever stress, whatever strain, guess what? It's causing us to do what? To come to a place where we seek God in a new way. In 2011, um, I was an associate pastor for One Love Ministries right here on Oahu. And in 2011, in May, the very last day of school, my wife received a call from her doctor that said, we have found a lump in your breast. You have to come in. So I get a call from my wife where she's weeping and crying and saying, you know what? They found something and they're not sure what it is. And that began a journey for us of trusting God. We've trusted him before. We've done missions. I mean, between my wife and I, we've probably been to 20 or 30 different countries doing missions. We've had miracles happen. But this was personal. This hit close, close to home. And I remember grabbing my kids from school and driving home and seeing my wife just weeping, so frightened, not knowing what it is. And so we go into the doctor. And they take the biopsy and they, say, they walk in and they say, you know what? You have stage 3C cancer. That's like a letter away from, yeah, it's over. And we are just like, what? We didn't ask the question, why God? Throughout the journey we did, but the initial response was, all right, Lord, what are you going to do? And I'm not saying it was like, all right, Lord, super Christian, we're going to be great. I'm just like talking like the messy cry, snot, you know, you know the, the messy cry. Everybody knows the ugly cry, right? We're doing the ugly cry. But we're saying, okay, Lord, what's going to happen? And through that process from 2011 when she started treatment in 2012 to everything, we saw miracle after miracle because we were seeking the Lord and because there was nothing we could do we had to completely trust Jesus with the weight of our lives. So I don't know if you guys are, have been or are in a place like that, but if you are, we can trust the Lord no matter what the circumstances. You know why? Because as Ananias is saying, hold on a second, even though uh, Paul is, or Saul is praying um, and the Lord has shown Saul, this person named Ananias, to come in and lay his hands on Saul, and he will regain his sight. What is Ananias' answer? Okay, let's hit, let's hit pause here, Lord. I've heard from many about this man and how much harm he did to, and this is great, because we all do this when we pray. I love this. How much harm he did to your 
saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. So here's a man who's seeking God, who Jesus speaks to. He recognizes his voice. There is a what? There is a call on his life. And he says, you know what? Maybe call waiting for a moment. And he's wrestling with, with what? Who has the real authority? Because he's seen the work of Saul imprisoning people, consenting to Stephen's death, the first martyr. And he's like, do you know what you're asking me to do? You're asking me, Jesus, to put my life on the line for you. Absolutely. That's what he asks of us every single day. It may not be physically, he says, hey, step into a place where you could lose your life, but step into a place where maybe you could lose a relationship. And maybe daily we die little deaths because we're not trusting the Lord to speak through us to our husband, our wife, our kids, to our coworker, to our neighbor, to the bus driver who takes us to our job every single day. Are we willing to be bold enough to step into that place like Ananias is going to do and see God change a life. So what happens? He's arguing with God. I love this. And I justify my arguments with God with this verse all the time. Um, but eventually, you know, God wins out. Um, well, most of the time. Anyways, uh, so verse 14. He has authority to... Um, Bind anybody who calls on your name. Verse 15, I love this. Just like he didn't answer Saul's question of who are you, he doesn't answer Ananias' fear. In verse 15, he says what? But the Lord said to him, go. <laughs> he tells Paul to get up and go. He tells Ananias to get up and go. And then he gives him the reason. He says what? He said, verse um, excuse me, 15, go, because Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to bear the name before, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I, says Jesus, will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. I always wonder if that was a great motivating factor for Ananias. It's like, oh, he's gonna suffer? I think I'm on board now, God. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm just, that's not gospel truth or anything. I'm just saying, I'm wondering. It's interesting to just notice the motivations and... Let's move on. Um, so Ananias departs and enters the house, and after laying his hands on Saul, he says this. Now, this is so important, okay? What we're going to see right here is somebody who is trusting God has put his life in God's hands and is going to a person that he thinks has authority to imprison and kill him. So it's not that he's laying his hands on him. I'm, I picture it looks like, and he lays his hand on him. Like there's some, I think there's some nervousness here. This is reality. It's not just a good story. This is a stretching for Ananias and Saul as well. Because he, Jesus is going to show Saul and Ananias that there's nothing in this world that can bear the weight of their lives, the sins or the things that we're called to do, nothing can bear that weight except Jesus Christ. And he's proving it right here. And he walks in and he does what? 
He walks in and he says, okay, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that there's purpose in this call. It's not just to go and do something. There is a purpose that is going to change the world. This verse right here is why we are sitting here and having church today. Because Ananias was obedient to lay his hands on Saul. Yeah, God's sovereignty notwithstanding. But still, Ananias' obedience to God is why we're meeting here today. What happens? He says, he sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to picture this. I mean, really, really, really picture this. Sorry. Saul completely freaked out, led into Damascus, has now been for three days blind, seeking God. And the Lord has shown him this man named Ananias that will come and pray for him so he could regain his sight. And what I picture is this. <laughs> I picture just Saul sitting in some some back corner room and just seeking the Lord. And I don't know what the Lord did in those three days, but I do know that further on in the New Testament, Paul does describe himself as the foremost of sinners because he persecuted Jesus Christ. And so I think that there's, there is shame that Saul is dealing with. I think that Jesus is peeling off the layers of emotional guilt, of intellectual misunderstanding of who God really is, of who the Messiah really is, and he's, he's just peeling these different things off. We're talking, this is like a DTS times 10 in three days. And he is just booming on him, booming on him, booming on him, but he's doing it in grace and love. And what I love, because the only thing we know is that he says, guess what? You're gonna get your sight back. Not just physically, but spiritually, because Jesus is bringing him there. So in the midst of that struggle that he's in, what does he give him? He gives him hope. What are we struggling with today? What are you feeling pressure at? and What are you struggling with this morning? Because I'm telling you right now, whatever it is, Jesus is saying to you right now, he will show up He's already here, and there's always hope. One of the great miracles that happened when my wife was going through uh, breast cancer was after her first round of chemotherapy, she got about, I don't know, a week or so after it, she really got run down. And so we're laying in bed one night, and it's about two in the morning, and all of a sudden we hear this. So I'm like, jump out of bed. I'm uh, I'm a boxer guy, not that you need to know that, but just it helps with the story. so you can edit that. Um, so I run, I run to the front door, and our front doors are kind of like those, I think they're called like French doors, like at the little windows or whatever like that. So I open the door, and standing on our uh, lanai there is a female cop, hence the boxer thing. Okay, just, okay. Um, and I go, I'm like, she goes. So I run to my bedroom and throw my board shorts and come back out, and she goes, hey, we had a 911 call come from this residence. So it's two in the morning. I'm like, uh, we don't have a landline. She's like, uh, you can call 911 from a cell phone. I'm like, okay. So Kareen walks out and she says, what's going on? And of course, they have to check to make sure that you know, everything's okay. They don't know if it's a domestic dispute or something. And are you okay, ma'am? She's like, yeah, I'm fine. 
hey, can we check around? Yeah, so they check around everywhere. They call back into the uh, uh, main, thank you, dispatch. <laughs> dispatch. There's some cops in here. I got some parking tickets. No, I'm just kidding. Um, um, to the main dispatch, and they said, you know, are you sure? And they're like, yes, it was this residence just came in. They check everything. Everything's kosher. Everything's cool. Kareem goes back in, lays down. And they're like, hey, sorry for disturbing you. Don't know what the problem was. And they leave. So I go back into the bedroom. As I walk in the bedroom, I, I smell this like acrid, acrid smell. And I'm like, like, what is that? And, and yes, ladies, I do know what this is. We just got a new duvet cover in. Okay, it usually impresses somebody. Um, and we just put it on, and so it's like, it's a packaging smell from the new duvet cover. I'm like, no, it's something different. So as I walk around to, and I just want to highlight this, my side of the bed. As I walk around to my side of the bed, and we have a, a house that's almost 100 years old and held together by termites. Um, I look down, and our air conditioner that's the, 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 with the plug-in is literally smoking and beginning to melt before my eyes. And I'm like, let me take that out. No, I freaked out. I'm like, ah! Undo it, and I'm like, I look at Kareen. She looks at me. I'm like, if God had not had the police show up on my doorstep, I wouldn't be here. There's no way that house would have gone up in a second. Jesus called the cops on me. It's the only time it's been the good time that someone's called the cops on me. At the break, I can tell you stories, but anyways. What's my point? My point is this, is that when we're stretched beyond our capability and we're listening to the Lord like Saul is doing as Ananias is trusting Jesus, miracles are going to happen. We actually had a person who worked for uh, the provider for a cell phone, and we went to him and said, hey, check our records. And he said, yeah, there was no 911 call made from any lines that you guys have. God is good. All right, wrapping this up. So what's going on? So the call comes. Ananias is obedient. Uh, Saul is called, but kind of humbled and brought to a different place. These two worlds meet. And what does he do? He comes in. And again, note, what does he say? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared on the road to you by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is saying, I am the Lord Jesus. I'm going to prove to you, Saul, that you can trust me because I'm going to show you Ananias before he shows up and what he's going to do. And then he's going to come and do it. And what's going to happen? You are going to learn that for the rest of your life, from this point on, when I call you to go to the ends of the earth, guess what? You can trust me. And it was this little step right here that made that happen. And Ananias was a part of that. What is God calling you today? Well, I just, he's calling me to just kind of share with my neighbor. Guess what? Is that the next Paul? Is that an, an, another missionary to Thailand, to China, to North Korea? We don't know. It's not for us to know. It's for us to be what? Obedient, just as Ananias was. And I love that he did this. He called him brother. There's a love in that. And then I just walked up and said, oh yeah, his name be Helaman. God calls us to places where we have to place our hands on people that we don't want to. And I don't have time to tell stories, so next service gets it. But we have an opportunity to be the hands and the voice of Jesus Christ. And lives are changed. Where were you 
when God called you and met you. It's the same thing. His love is what drew you in. His touch on your life is what changed and transformed you. So we can trust what he's calling us to. We can trust and have faith that whatever we're struggling with, Jesus is bigger. But you have to walk through it. It's not an instant fix. It could be a tumultuous road, but it's true. So as we wrap up, if the worship team wants to come up. That was a great segue. Um, so what happens? Ananias enters the house, lays his hand. Immediately, the scales fall from Saul's eyes. He's what? Baptized. He's, what does that mean? He's brought into the family of God. He's no longer an outsider. He's no longer not understanding who Jesus is. He's doing what? He is brought into the family of God. He's belonging right now because he has stepped into a place of believing. And verse 21 says this, we'll wrap up here. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed. Why? Because he began to proclaim Jesus everywhere. Instead of speaking against God, he spoke for God. Instead of tearing down the church, he began to build the church. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed because the change that had happened in his life. And you know what? When we share our testimony, we can understand that people might not understand what happened to us, but it's okay. And you may not be called to the ends of the earth like Saul. You might just be called to the end of the street. But that can result in the world being changed. And it's not by our power, but by what? By the anointing of the Holy Spirit on our lives. Because God's love is always true. His call is sure. But we can't do it in our power. The anointing of the Holy Spirit brings us into a place where we can have faith in what God is doing in our lives to change the world around us. Amen. Amen.